I speak to you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This morning, we hear Jesus' inaugural speech, or at least the Beatitudes, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So far in the Gospel of Matthew, we've heard of Jesus' birth, his family's refugee flight to Egypt to escape the murderous Herod. We've seen his baptism, and then the temptation in the desert to throw over his God-given mission in favor of earthly power. And now, Jesus' public ministry begins. He returns from the desert, and in the passage we heard last week, he travels through the region, calling people to change their hearts and their lives, healing the sick, teaching, and calling disciples. The crowds have started to gather around Jesus, and in this moment, Jesus calls together his disciples, and he leads them up the mountain to lay out his agenda. Until this moment, Jesus hasn't said much, or at least not much is recorded. But here, in his first official speech, Jesus makes clear to those who are following him what he, what God, what the kingdom of heaven are all about. Though Jesus' ministry is brand new, his actions parallel the story of Exodus, the story that defines the people of Israel. In that story and in this one, people live under oppression. Egypt then and Rome now. A despotic leader signs an order to slaughter innocent children. Pharaoh then and Herod now. People must pass through the water to be freed, the Red Sea then and the waters of baptism now. Temptation is faced in the desert 40 years for the Israelites then, 40 days for Jesus now. And then after all that, the hero ascends a mountain, the meeting place with God to deliver a declaration from God. In this way, Jesus is seen as a new kind of Moses whose arrival announces liberation from oppression. And then Jesus delivers his amazing inaugural address, beginning with the Beatitudes, those surprising statements of blessing and declares who he is and what the kingdom is about. Now those words are so well known to us and it's reasonable for we who hear these words so many years after they were delivered to think that the Beatitudes is a way of Jesus saying, here's how to get God's blessing. Act a certain way, be a certain way, and God will bless you. But that's not what's happening here. Rather, Jesus has gathered his disciples, a cabinet of sorts, to lay out not what they are to do, but who in God's kingdom is considered favored, blessed by God. 
And it's not who they, it's not who we might expect. The blessed are not those who already appear blessed, the rich, the successful, the powerful, the beautiful, the already happy. Rather, God promises blessing, satisfaction, contentment on those the world is least likely to hold up for our admiration. Blessed are the poor in spirit, you who are at the end of your rope. Blessed are those who mourn, you who have lost what's most dear to you. Blessed are the meek, you who are content with who you are, no more, no less. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you who are desperate for justice. Blessed are the merciful, you who care more for others than yourself. Blessed are the pure in heart, you who focus on what God, not what you want. Blessed are the peacemakers, you who do the hard work of bringing enemies together, and blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, you whose devoted actions lead to your own persecution. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You who tell the truth, even if it angers the powerful, even if people reject you for the gospel that you preach. Those beatitudes are always fresh and new if we have ears to hear. Today we might hear them this way. Blessed are you who are homeless. Blessed are you who seek refuge. Blessed are you who pour out your time and your lives working for justice and the poor. Blessed are you who feed the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the sick and the imprisoned. You will be comforted and inherit the earth. You will receive mercy and see God and be children of God. Great is your reward. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. This isn't really what we or what the world expect. But the very ones who are struggling and suffering, the ones who are overlooked and powerless, those we, when we're in that place, are the ones God loves especially. That's who the kingdom is made of. And that's who we must call blessed. 
That's who we must treat as blessed and precious if we want to live in that kingdom, the one where we do justice and we love kindness and we walk humbly with God. That's not the world we live in now, beloved. And it seems that we might be moving further from it these days. But that's the vision that Jesus offers in his inaugural address and with his whole life. A life that he willingly gave over for love of us and in witness to the reign of God. One who would rather suffer than cause harm to others. That's the kingdom Jesus invites us into and makes possible through the foolishness of the cross, as Paul says, which is the sign that God chooses to shame the wise and the strong, but chooses to bless the meek and the mourning, the poor and the merciful, the pure in heart, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. No one expects these blessings and no one deserves them, just as no one expects the cross, which is foolish to the powerful. But for those who struggle, who are spurned by the powerful, the blessings and the foolishness and the cross of Christ are life. We don't live in the kingdom of heaven yet. We might feel it's far away right now. But beloved, the hope is, the hope is that we are called to that kingdom. We Christians. And we must never lose hope. For blessed are the pure in heart and the merciful and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when we are those things, we are already living there. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.